Last week we discussed the role of Agadah in Psak and whether texts that are found in Agadic material from the Tanaim and Amoraim are considered to be primary sources can be taken into account in Psak. And we saw a range of opinions, those who thought that Agadic texts have no place in halachic discussion, whether they're found in the Bavli or other sources, those who believed that Agadic material that's found in the Bavli has the status of binding material as other material, as halachic material found in the Bavli, and those who were more amenable to introducing Agadic texts into halachic discussion, in general, at least under certain circumstances. What I want to deal with today is the question of the role of Kabbalah. Now, the role of Kabbalah in Psak is related to several other issues, the role of dreams, of Batkal, um, etc. But I want to focus specifically on the role of Kabbalistic texts in halachic discussion. This question really divides into several, var- uh, se- several varied questions. We're going to focus primarily on two. One is the role of the Zohar in Psak. The second is the role of the Arizal or other major Kabbalistic figures in Psak. And the reason that these are different is as follows. On the one hand, the traditional view held by many, though not all poskim, was that the Zohar was written by Rup Shimon Bayochai. Therefore, on the one hand, they, many poskim might feel that material that's found in the Zohar is essentially canonical. It is a primary text as it is written by Etana. On the other hand, as some poskim have noted, the fact that it is found that early, that it is found in the Tanaitic period, but we know that when Shimon is found in the Mishnah, we don't always rule like him. In fact, we rule against Rib Shimon when the Chachamim disagree, proves that despite the fact that it's early, we cannot treat it as a halachically authoritative text because even when it's found in the most authoritative texts, even when the position of Shimon by Yochai is found in the Mishnah or the Gemara, we don't always accept it. The second level to this question is analyzing the role of texts such as the Arizal. And here again, on the one hand, you have an irony. On the one hand, it is not going to be the case that any posik will view the Arizal as a primary source in the way you would the Gemara, because no one claims that the Arizal is written by Etana. But on the other hand, if the Arizal writes a position, he pens a halachic opinion, which seems to be in tension with the Gemara, well, when it comes to the Zohar, one could say, indeed, this is against the Gemara, and we don't rule like the Zohar because we don't paskin like Rub Shimon, the assumption of many poskim is that the Arizal, even if his position seems to be in tension with the straightforward halachic read of the Gemara, since he's living post-Gemara and presumably felt bound to the Gemara in the way that other poskim do, in the way that we've outlined in previous Urim, perhaps we can give more weight to the Arizal than we would the Zohar, because not as a primary text, but as a very important, perhaps super important, piece of precedent. And therefore, what I want to do is analyze this question of the role of Kabbalah, both on the level of the Zohar, where on the one hand we have the potential that certain poskim will treat it as a primary text, rather than just precedent or a previous interpretation, but on the other hand, the fact that it is potentially from the period of the canonical texts, but does not always reflect the halachic position, may weaken it. And the second question is, what is the role of 
halachic authorities or Kabbalistic authorities who weigh in on halachic issues, how much weight do we give their opinions? So that is the question I want to take up. This is a very broad question, and we will not cover every aspect of it. For fuller discussions of it, one can see the, the entire book-length work of Jacob Katz, of Yaakov Katz, Sefer, Halacha, and Kabbalah. If one is interested in the way this has manifested itself in modern Psak, specifically in the Psak of Vad Yosef, as opposed to many post-game of Edudah Mizrach, one can see the dissertation, which was then turned to a book by Rabbi Dr. Benny Lau, in Mishnato El Chatit, Shomaran Harav Vad Yosef. Um, and there are many other summary works that can be found. So let us launch into this question. On the one hand, there were post-game who felt that halacha and Kabbalah are simply different disciplines. And whatever value one grants to the esoteric material in Kabbalah in terms of it being reflective of metaphysical truths, when it comes to halacha, Kabbalistic material is essentially irrelevant. These are simply two different disciplines which should not be mixed. This position is often quoted in the name of the Chatam Sofer, Moshe Sofer, in his tshuva, Arachaim Chelak Aleph, tshuva Nun Aleph. Similarly, in Hitorud HaTshuva, Bet Chavtet, if one wants to see other posts, can record this view. And he writes as follows. He says, He says, in general, he opposes those who challenge the Minhagim. However, he says, But he does feel, and presumably he writes this because sometimes these overlap, the question of Minhag and Kabbalah, he writes as follows, he says, he writes that any time one mixes Kabbalah im Halacha, Halachot Psukot, unargued with Halachic positions, so then he writes, perhaps hyperbolically or metaphorically, that one violates the prohibition of kilayim, of planting two species together. And when one plants multiple species together, the halacha is that the result becomes prohibited. And the Chatam Sofer uses that mashal to explain his position. He says he does not believe that you can mix halacha and kabbalah. It's like mixing kilayim. And therefore the result is essentially forbidden. Though he further writes that if anyone mixes halacha and sifrei higayon, philosophical works and the like, it's even worse. It is like plowing with a shor and a chamor, and you are leading Yisrael through kilayim. And in general, the Chadam Zofer felt that halacha was its own autonomous discipline, and one was not allowed to introduce other material, definitely not from without 
Judaism, but even from within, even Kabbalistic material that he believes is important in terms of reflecting metaphysical truths, it has no place in halachic discourse. On the other hand, you have Poskim at the other extreme who think that this is not the case, that not only can Kabbalah be introduced into halachic discussion, but the Zohar, at least, is so important Presumably, as we mentioned before, because it borders on an important precedent or a canonical source, considering that these posts can believe that it is Tanaitic in origin, it is not only legitimate to be brought into discussion, but it is in fact Machria. If the Zohar reflects a certain position, one must follow it. So, for example, if you look at the Shut Masa bin Yamin Simin Yudbet, or the Shud Beit Din Shel Shlomo, or Achaim Yud Bet, or the Mechtav Lechizkeo Simon Zayin, he writes as follows: Haderach Hashani Lelech Achara Achar Rov Minyanu Binyan, Hare Lefanecha Sefer Azawar Shu Shakul Yoter Mikol Hamichabrim. Maybe you would want, in this particular case under discussion, to follow the majority view. That's incorrect because the Zohar not only is it important. But no matter how many poskim you have against the Zohar, it will always override and outweigh their position. Shachar chatimat ha-Talmud. Any posek post-Talmud cannot beat the Zohar. Vim yukol mechabrim bekaf moznaim mechad. And even if you would put all the authors on one side of the scale, v'sefer ha-Zohar livado. And the Zohar by itself, ya'aleh bekaf shniya machriyat kulam. You put it on the second side, it would outweigh everything. It goes against the majority view, even if it's against all the poskim. And in his particular case, he notes that this is that obviously in a case where the Zohar is in line with the views of many poskim, then one should follow the Zohar. But even if it were a case in which the Zohar stood alone, he writes, the Zohar would win. And here, I believe that the simplest understanding of Masat bin Yamin is that he views Kabbalah, at least the Zohar, not just as important precedent, important interpretation of the halachic material, but since he views it as Tanaitic, and does not bring in the possibility that despite the fact that Tanaitic, we don't Paskin like it, he is treating the Zohar, like a primary source. And here again, we return to our central question that we have laid out many times throughout this year. Then in general, post-scheme balance the interpretation of primary sources with precedent, with previous authorities' positions. And here you see that at play in the Masat Binyamin and the Khatam Sofer, though at opposite extremes. The Masat Binyamin takes the position that the Zohar is not Precedent. It's not interpretation, it is primary, and therefore, as we said, in theory, primary texts always get the final say, and therefore writes that no matter who argues with the Zohar, we follow the position of the Zohar. All the way at the other extreme, you have the Khatam Sofer, who says that when dealing with halachic texts, the only thing that matter are the primary sources of halacha, and not everything even makes it into that canon, and even things that are important even things that have spiritual weight, they do not 
have weight when it comes to halacha. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the Zohar or you're talking about later halachic uh, or Kabbalistic positions, they have no place in halachic decision-making. And that is the two extremes. To say that it is primary source and therefore outweighs all precedent, or to say that it's not even within the halachic canon ever, and therefore for halachic purposes, it is completely out of bounds. When it comes to modern psak, most of the time one will see that Ashkenazi poskim tend to be more hesitant in terms of accepting halachic positions from Kabbalistic material, well, many poskim of the Yiduna Mizrach, those who are influenced by the Chida or by the Ben Yishchai, will be much more amenable to positions that emerge from halachic sources. The outlier in modern Psak was Rabovadya Yosef, where despite the fact that he identifies with the Sephardi position, he felt that one should rule against the Kabbalistic sources and took a much more Ashkenazi-esque position. And he notes that Smachlokas in many places, and this is an entire chapter in Rabbi Benny Lau's book on Rubavadya, in which the Eidut HaMizrach position took the Kabbalistic position and he rejected it. Now here, we move on though from the Zohar to the position of the Arizal. And here you see that there were many poskim who, regardless of what they said about the Zohar, felt that even when you're dealing with the, the Arizal, who by no stretch of the imagination is a primary source in the way the Gemara would be, or the Mishnah would be, or the Zohar would be, as a work of Rishon Bayochai, he's clearly just a position, a precedent, an authority that interprets the Halacha. Despite that, there are, there are many poskim who felt that his status was so great that when it came to halacha, he had the upper hand. Now, Rabbi Yosef, in general, feels that the Sephardi position should follow Rabbi Yosef Kara, the Beit Yosef. Therefore, when he sees that there are Sephardi poskim who acknowledge the authority of the Beit Yosef and still think that the Arizal overpowers him, Rabbi will disagree but again, this is evidence of the fact that here, again, not at the plane of primary text, but in the, at the role of interpretation and authority, there were these poskim who granted even heavier authority to the Arizal than they did to Beit Yosef. So, to read a little bit from a tshuva from Ravad Yosef, this is Yabi Omer, he records this machlok, and he wrote, writes, the issue at hand is whether or not one should recite a bracha that does not appear in the Gemara, i.e., it does not appear in the primary source of halacha. And therefore, if one believes that only that which is found in the primary source of halacha can be binding, one would contend that you should not say However, the Ashkenazi position is to say it because there are Geonim who believe that it was in the Gemara, and their text of the Gemara did appear. However, the Kabbalistic tradition is not to rely on the authority of the Gemara as recorded by the Geonim, because that is sort of a middle position, as we'll see in just a moment, 
but rather to rule directly from the Arizal who felt you should make Hanotein Le'ev Kalach, thereby giving the Arizal a status of a very important interpretation, or perhaps, despite the fact that he's post-Talmud, almost the status of a primary source. And here, again, you see the blurring sometimes of these lines. Again, I don't think any posig would tell you that the Arizal is primary in the way the Gemara is, but here, the fact that they're willing to accept the position of the Arizal, again, not against the Gemara, because he's not, in the end of the day, a primary source in the way the Gemara is, but willing to accept the position even when the Gemara does not speak about it at all, there's blurring of the line that they think he's such an important interpreter of the halacha that when the Gemara is silent, we can essentially treat him as primary. And this is what the Chida writes, that even though we normally follow Maran, we follow Beit Yosef, who says you should not make the bracha, Kimlan, Shilu Ra'a Maran, Dat Kadosh Arizal, Gam Hu Yodeshi Yesh Levarcha, Vechen Nitpashen Aminag Beglilotenu. The way the Chidam maintains his claim that the Maran, the Beit Yosef, is such an important posseik, but squares that with his belief that the Arizal is a super important interpreter which borders somewhere on primary, if not fully primary in that sense, is by saying that had the Beit Yosef seen the position of the Ari, we are convinced that he would have changed his mind. And the, then he quotes the Knesset Gadolah, actually writes that the Beit Yosef did change his mind at the end of his life. Similarly, the Ben Ishchai writes in this way. So here, you have the position of the Chidab, and the Birke Yosef, who believe that not only is the Zohar important, but the Arizal is that important, even overriding the interpretive power of the Beit Yosef, and perhaps even bordering on primary, and therefore being allowed to introduce positions that are not found in the Gemara. However, Bavadya takes the Ashkenazi-esque position. And he writes, he writes, so this is a second context. This is also how far one should respond in uh, Kiddusha, and here he's invoking the Machloket by Noten Le'ev Koach. He quotes the Poskim, and he says, we should not rely on the position of the, of the Mikubalim. We should instead rely on the position of the, of the Ba'alei Halacha. Now, it is interesting to note that in this particular case, the, in the case of Hanotein Le'ev Koach, as Ruvadia notes in Chelek Bet, Fiyabi Omer, Orachayim Siman Chavhei, he ends up relying on this position, ruling that you should say Hanotein Le'ev Koach. Um, the reason, though, that he says is not because of the Mikubalim, because he accepts his fundamental position that you always follow halachic material, not Kabbalistic material. However, because he notes that the Minag has emerged to say Anotin Le'ev Koach, and according to the Ashkenazi tradition found in the Geonim, based on the Geonim, the reason to say Anotin Le'ev Koach is that there are versions of the Gemara that write that this bracha is binding. In the end of the day, the combination of the possibility that this is found in a primary text i.e., the Gaonic interpretation of the Gemara, or text of the Gemara, 
plus the reality that the minhag in this particular case supports the Kabbalah, leads Ruvadya to accept this halacha even though he rejects the principles upon which the Kabbalistic position is based. And here again, methodologically, this highlights some of the things that we have talked about, a point that right, Benny Lau notes in his book, that while Psak is, bal- is a complex process of balancing primary texts, precedents, and minhag, even poskim who have a uh, tendency to poskim like one of those three factors, when the other factors push very heavily, they will sometimes rule in favor of them. So in this case, Ravad Yosef, who does not believe that Kabbalah belongs on the level of precedent or the level of interpret- uh, interpretive authorities, is pushed by the fact that the minhag is to say in pretty much all communities, plus the fact that he can, if necessary, justify this within the primary sources by offering the alternative girsah that's found in the Geonim, is pushed to rule against his normal tendency, i.e. follow the authoritative precedence of halacha rather than independent interpretation of the primary sources or the minhag, meaning follow the Beit Yosef for him. In this case, he bends to the pressure of minhag and allows himself to paskin based on the alternative text in the primary source, thereby overrunning the position of the Beit Yosef. So it is an interesting example about how of how all these factors can sometimes play against each other. But at any rate, what we have seen so far is as follows. You have the position on paper of the Chatam Sofer, that Halacha and Kabbalah are two different disciplines, and therefore Kabbalah is never within the discussion of Halachic material, even if it is very important, it is not part of the Halachic canon. On the other extreme, you have the Masad bin Yamin, who believes that certain Kabbalistic material, especially that found in the Zohar, is not only important interpretation, but is actually authoritative in the sense of a primary text. Then you have Postgame who expand that conviction that Kabbalistic material has that kind of weight and write that the same is true even of of positions found in the Arizal, who, despite the fact that he's post-Talmudic and most likely viewed as a mere interpreter, straddles the line between them, and in cases when the Gemara does not speak about something, Poskim like the Benishai and the Chida are willing to Paskin like the Arizal as a super important interpreter of Halakha who can either even override the Beit Yosef or as maybe a quasi-primary source who can introduce positions that are not found in the Gemara, a position that Ravadi Yosef rejects in principle if, however, in the case of Hanotein Le'akoach, the combination of factors leads him to rule practically in accordance with them. Anyways. The third general position that is found in this, uh, in this context is to say that the Zohar and Kabbalistic material is not a primary source, nor a super important source that can overpower other postgame, but is at least a factor. And this in different ways. The Beit Yosef himself seems to believe, at least for the purposes of halachic, rulings that the Zohar is a factor, a precedent. It's not a primary source in Allah Chikanen, but it is a text that should be treated for these purposes as an interpretive text. Again, leaving aside the question of who wrote it, 
the Beit Yosef believing just that it was written by Rishayim Re'ochai, still, the fact that it's not found in the Gemara treats as precedent. And you see this in his Akdama, where he lists all the poskim that he relies on in interpreting the Gemara. And he writes, Rashi, Tosa, Ran, Rif, Rush, Mordechai, Rambam, the Hagot, Maimon, Maimoni, the Magad Mishnah, Rabbi Yerucham, Sevrat Shumash, Belaleket, Rokech, Sharei Dura, Tashbeitz, Itur, Nemuka Yosef, Smag, Smak, Orchot Chaim, Tor Rabayin, Agor Ashri, Sefer Hamanig, Agor, Sefer Balei Nevesh, Laharayvet, Shuvat Arash, Arash, Barib, Barsheshet, Roshim, Barsemach, Marik, Kolon, Shuvat Deshen. And then at the end of that list, he writes, Uviktsad, Mekomot, Mamarei HaZohar, and in some places the Zohar. And it seems that the Zohar, for the Beit Yosef, regardless of when it was authored, is not being treated as a primary source. It's put here in this list of other interpretive authorities that have weight, but maybe not the final say. And that would be a middle position to say that the Zohar has weight, but not authoritative weight, or not final say. Another middle position would be to say that if the Halachic texts say nothing. They are silent. So then it is legitimate to introduce Kabbalistic material. Meaning, Kabbalistic material is somewhere between a primary source and precedent. It's not a primary source in the sense that it cannot challenge the Gemara. But on the other hand, it can be used as a primary source in a case when the first order, shall we say, primary source of halacha, are silent, then it is legitimate to introduce halachic, uh, Kabbalistic um, material. Now, even when one does that, one can argue that it is legitimate to introduce it, but even then, because it's not a, shall we say, first order primary source, it is enough of a primary source to introduce a chumrah, or a worthwhile minhag, but not something that is binding. And this is essentially the position presented by Postkim, like the Mishnah Purah. He says, If the mekubalim are machmir, then you should be strict. But if it's not found in the Gemara and Postkim, you can't force people to follow it. She says you can't force it, but if the Gemara doesn't say the opposite, the Postkim doesn't say the opposite, then it is a legitimate, maybe worthwhile minhag. At that last line, Mishnah Bura, he introduces another possibility, which is that maybe Kabbalah is not primary, nor is it, nor is Kabbalistic material enough of a precedent, interpretive precedent, to be binding. But Kabbalah may have a slightly outsized role than a regular authority, such that if there is a machlokarapo scheme, meaning both halachic positions are live, both in terms of their interpretation of the canonical sources and in terms of the halachic precedent behind them, then it's legitimate to introduce Kabbalah to weigh in and push you to accept the position of a certain group of poskim. And that is yet another middle possibility of how to relate to Kabbalistic material in halachic 
context. And in general, one can find, as I mentioned, lengthy discussions of these, uh, these questions, and they have far-reaching consequences. For example, the question of the role of Kabbalah in Halakha is found in the Machloka as to whether to wear tefillin on Chalamoed, as the Beit Yosef notes in Suman Lamed Aleph and Arachayim. I um, mean, this is one of those complicated issues where, on the one hand, um, the halachic material can go in either direction. There are poskim, there are rishonim on both sides. And therefore, this is not a question in which Kabbalah is the only reason one might rule. You should not wear tefillin on Chalamoed. On the other hand, many poskim were swayed in that direction because the Kabbalistic material aligned with the halachic vision that one should not wear it. So, if one felt the Kabbalah has no role in halachic decision-making, then one would reject this um, and rule however one understood the sugya based on the primary sources and the Rishonim and the classic halachic texts. But if one takes a middle position, such as the Beit Yosef or the Mishnah Burah, that maybe Kabbalah does not have the final say, but it can be brought into conversation when weighing different positions... So then, it would potentially push one to rule in accordance with this. In the case of Anotain Le'av Kalach, we saw that this was decisive by itself for the Kabbalists who are willing to accept, uh, by the postkim who are willing to accept Kabbalistic material as quasi-precedent, quasi-primary. And for Babad Yosef, it's rejected, though he accepts their practical conclusion because he can defend it on the level of Minag and primary source as well, using the alternative Girsan Gemara of the Geonim. And there are many other issues uh, where this comes up. But again, just to summarize the positions that we have seen in terms of the general contours of it, and again, for the examples, one is encouraged to look at those recorded by um, Jacob Katz in Halakha Kabbalah and those recorded by um, Rai Benny Lau, if one wants 20th century examples of this. But the range of positions that we have seen are that on the one hand, one can reject the role of Kabbalah entirely in halachic decision-making, arguing that it is not precedent for halachic material, nor is it a primary source, which is that the position articulated by the Khatam Sofer. At the other extreme, one can say that at least that which is found in the Zohar has full authoritative status as a primary text. Um, then there are those who are willing to accept the Arizal, perhaps even in certain circumstances more than the Zohar, because he is a very important post-Talmudic interpreter, who, according to the Chida and the Birkei and the, um, the Beni Shchai, can override the Psaq of Shulchan Aruch, um, presumably because he is post-Talmud, and therefore his interpretations can be squared with the Talmud, or there's assumption of such, and therefore he um, can act as a very important interpreter, um, or even as a, a quasi-primary source, which does not contradict the Gemara. And then you have the middle positions, who believed that while Kabbalah is not primary, um, it A, is a potential precedent, which seems to be the position of the Beit Yosef, or it is potentially the source for Minhagim, which, while not absolutely binding, can be worthwhile, the position of Mishnah Brura, or in case, also recorded in the Mishnah Brura, that while it may not have the final say, it can have a say 
when there is a machloket and push you in the direction of the positions that are in line with the Kabbalistic material. And again, as we've seen in this year, the question of how to accept Kabbalah, how much and which sources, in the end of the day, is yet another place in which poskim debate exactly the categorization of certain texts and their roles in terms of defining them as primary texts, as canonical texts, as precedents and different levels of precedent, how much weight they have, and as we mentioned briefly in the context of Nozain of Koach, how sometimes kab- um, minhag can play a role, and when minhagim develop in accordance with the Kabbalistic material, sometimes that affects the willingness of a posek to accept a position which is only found in Kabbalistic material because it is bolstered by minhag, which is, as we've mentioned, is that third prong of psak.